Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you have given us to gather together as Mishpacha and worship before you. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your word received, your voice that we hear moving among us, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. And Father, I pray that through this word you will breathe new life into each and every one of us as we move forward in preparation for being used by you to impact not only the kingdom of Messiah, but the world around us for your kingdom. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. So we're going to go a little, um, a little off book. Uh, normally here at Congregation Maim Chaim, our messages follow the Torah Parsha, uh, the, the Torah cycle, and so normally I would preach off of whatever the Parsha is for that week, which in this case is Tazria Metzora. Um, but I feel like the Lord has put a very specific message on my heart for this Shabbat, for Congregation Maim Chaim, and for the greater body of Messiah, separate from the Parsha. That's not to take away from the value of the Parsha. I still want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, please sit down this afternoon and read through the entirety of the Parsha for this week, uh, both the Torah and the Haftorah, and then uh, any Brachadashah passage, the New Covenant passage that you see that relate to um, the, the Parsha. But uh, sometimes the Lord just moves in a different way, and uh, I feel that it is absolutely necessary as a rabbi of this congregation, and as one who uh, desires to be led by the Spirit of God and everything that I do to follow His leading, uh, when he puts it on my heart to shift gears a little bit. So today we're going to be focusing on the prophet Haggai, and in particular Haggai 2, 1 through 9. So if you go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up there. We'll come back to it in a moment, but I just want to kind of set up a little bit of a picture for you, a little bit of uh, context of the book of Haggai. First and foremost in Hebrew, his name is Haggai, uh, Haggai which literally means my festival, my feast, as in Chag Sameach, when we say happy festival for Passover or Sukkot or what have you. Um, so his name is my feast, my festival, uh, my time of, of joy and gladness is this idea here. Um, and it's, I believe, a prophetic name for what the Lord will be doing uh, through the later events of Israel because of the work of guys like Haggai and uh, Zechariah and Ezra and Nehemiah and so on and so forth. So the book of Haggai uh, is at an interesting time period. And you'll notice it's named after the prophet Haggai. And there's debate over whether or not he wrote it or somebody else wrote it because it's in third person. But it's most likely that he did, in fact, write it and wrote it in third person to kind of remove the, the distraction of the speaker himself out of the picture um, and focus on the words being given. So Haggai was one of the exiles of Judah who returned to the promised land from Babylon under Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. Remember Zerubbabel was the governor placed over the uh, former exiles, the, the Jews as they returned back to Judea, as they were returned back to Jerusalem to reestablish Jerusalem and the promised land and ultimately the temple. They returned with the blessing of Cyrus, who also provided the Jews with supplies to restore the temple. So we're talking about a third party who has nothing to do with the people of God that the Lord placed uh, a burden on his heart, this uh, uh, Persian leader uh, Cyrus, that the Lord placed on his heart to give Israel the money and the resources and the, the, the supplies needed to rebuild and restore the temple and the temple service. If that isn't a move of God, I don't know what is, right? The, the outside world, these are pagans who said, hey, 
God said you need to do this, that it's a blessing to you and to the whole world. So here, we're going to make sure it happens. We're just going to give you everything you need to see this come about. However, after getting a good jump on laying the foundations for the temple, the Samaritans uh, caused all sorts of havoc and caused a delay in the building. So the Samaritans, if you remember, if you read through the, the Besor, through the Good News, the Gospels, we read about the Samaritan woman at the well and Yeshua talking to her and so on and so forth. The Samaritans were a group of um, Semitic people. There's the, they're genetically related to Israel, to the Jewish people. There are theories historically that they are likely some of the northern tribes having blended in with some of the people from what we now know as Syria, from the, the area uh, around them in those days, um, and who uh, remained on Mount Gerizim, or what we call today Harbor Acha, the Mount of Blessings, uh, where the, the blessings were spoken. Remember Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, Mount Gerizim, half the tribes of Israel to stand and proclaim the blessing. Mount Ebal, half the tribes to stand on that mountain and bless and proclaim the curses, and so on. So Mount Gerizim is where the Samaritans tended to kind of centrally uh, exist, and the focus of their faith was there. They had a, uh, a faith basis relatively similar to Judaism, uh, they have their own version of the Torah. They only believe in the Torah. Um, they still, to this day, the Samaritans still exist. It's a very small community, somewhere around 2,500 people, give or take, uh, primarily still focused in uh, uh, on Mount Gerizim in, uh, in the north of Israel and then also uh, down towards the Dead Sea. There's a small community of Samaritans there as well. Uh, so they still to this day perform sacrifices uh, every year at their Passover, which is at a different time than the, the Passover as Judaism sees it. Uh, at Passover, they still perform sacrifices. They still have a priesthood and so on and so forth. They very much live uh, in a lot of ways under the leader, leadership, if you would, of the Torah, just a different skewed version of it. Um, and they very much believe that everything that the Torah says that occurred at Mount Sinai and on Mount, uh, um, uh, the Mount Zion, on the, the Temple Mount itself, that it actually all occurred on Mount Gerizim. Uh, they believe that uh, where, where the, the scriptures kind of make it clear that Isaac's uh, binding occurred on what we know now as the Temple Mount, on Mount, of Z Mount Zion, that they believe those events occurred at the uh, Mount Gerizim instead, and, and so they very much centered their focus around there. And they were very jealous of, very angry of, and very... Um, uh, separated from the Jewish people. So as the Jewish people return back to Israel and back to Jerusalem, begin to reestablish the temple, they get a little upset, they get a little jealous, they get a little uh, uh, anxious, and they begin to cause problems for the Jews returning back to Jerusalem. So because of this, uh, they begin to slow down on their work. More specifically, the Jewish returnees began to uh, work instead of on building the temple, they began to work on building their own homes and, uh, and orchestrating fields for their, their animals and their herds. Before long, the novelty of the, the restoration, the build, rebuilding of the restoration of the temple began to wear off, and they began to, uh, became tired, discouraged, anxious, and complacent. The foundation of uh, the work had been laid already. The foundation of the temple had already been laid, but the workers themselves became complacent with being back in the land and with not uh, bumping heads with the Samaritans. Ultimately, by the beginning of Haggai's message, the Jews had given up on the goal of rebuilding the temple and had gotten comfortable with things the way they were. Haggai's message was, in essence, a call to action. 
It was a call to return to action more specifically. His prophecy was a promise that God would not and has not forgotten them or forsaken them. Haggai's message comes approximately 16 years after the Jews began returning from Babylon to Jerusalem and 14 years after the work of the temple had come to a complete halt. So they laid the foundation for the, the rebuilding of the temple, and then they stopped their work because the Samaritans were, were giving them problems because they became discouraged and, and tired of the work and, and whatever else. They lost focus of what they were there for in the first place, and so they stopped. So for 14 years, work on the rebuilding of the temple, work on the reestablishment of the worship before the Lord as God prescribed had come to a complete and total halt. Keep in mind, 16 years before this, God moved on the heart of Cyrus to not only send the Jews back to Jerusalem, uh, to not only tell them to rebuild the temple, but to actually give all of the supplies and the financial needs to be able to see it come about. And then they began to, uh, to, to, to fall behind and to fall into complacency with the work. Haggai 1, 1 through 15 is a reprimand from Adonai spoken through Haggai for their apathy in allowing the temple to remain in ruins. It ultimately took 21 days for the work of the rebuilding of the temple to begin again. Uh, Haggai, uh, actually the, the, the prophecy of Haggai, the, the ministry of the work of prophecy of Haggai occurred at about the same time as Zechariah. As a matter of fact, if you look in Ezra 5.1, it says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Ju Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, of the God of Israel, who was over them. And then again, he mentions them in Ezra 6.14. So the elders of the Jews continue building and prospering through the prophecy, uh, through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. Uh, they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel and according to the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. So that, I just wanted to kind of set that out for you and give you a little bit of a, a foundation of what exactly is going on at the period of time that we read about uh, the prophet of Haggai and the message that the Lord speaks through him. And so as I said, we're going to focus on Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. Uh, and so I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Adonai came through Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, Kohen Gadol, or high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Who remains among you who saw this house in its former glory? So how do you see it now? Does it not seem as nothing in comparison in your eyes? But now, Zerubbabel, Chazak, it is a declaration of Adonai, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, Kohen Gadol, and all the people of the land, Chazak, it is a declaration of Adonai, and work for I am uh, with you. It is a declaration of Adonai, according to the word I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, my Ruach is standing in your midst, do not fear." For thus says Adonai Zebaot, in just a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. The treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says Adonai Zebaot. The, uh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. It is a declaration of Adonai Zebaot. The glory of this latter house will be greater than the former, says Adonai Zebaot. In this place I will grant shalom. It is a declaration of Adonai Zebaot. So 
As I said, Israel up to this point, the, the, the returnees from Babylonian captivity living in Judah and Jerusalem and, and having this yearning on their heart to rebuild the temple and to reestablish the temple service became complacent. They became afraid of what was going on around them. They began to give in to the pressures of society around them. They began to give in to the pressures of the enemy as he crashed down upon them. Uh, and so this brought to my mind as I was reading through this this week this brought through my mind this idea that you know in the world we live in now and it's different than it was a month and a half two months ago right everything is completely shifted everything is is weird everything is out of place and out of order and we have more questions a month after a month and a half after going into quarantine than we do answers we we don't know how to, to, to get out of this. We don't know how to beat it. We don't know when things are going to start back up again. We don't know when life is going to get back to whatever the new normal will be. We have more questions than we do answers. And one of the things that the Lord really put on my heart as this season began uh, was that the Lord was bringing the world around us, if you would. The Lord was bringing the world around us kind of to a halt. He was bringing everything to a stop. Because I don't know about you. I can, I can speak from my own life and I'm I'm pretty confident that this also carries over into yours as well. Most of us, if we're honest about it, are way too busy. We have way too much going on in our lives, whether it's through our work, it's through uh, uh, binge-watching TV shows on Netflix or Hulu, whether it's through uh, uh, things that we're doing with our kids and uh, what's going on around us. Uh, I'm a huge motorcycle enthusiast, and if I can and, and, and if I have the ability, I will spend as much time as possible on my bike uh, as I can. Uh, I love working on it and tinkering with it and making it mine. I like to spend that kind of time into things. Um, we just find ourselves so stinking busy all the time. And I felt like the Lord was saying that the, the reality is, is we've made our days so busy and so constant and so nonstop that we've actually not left room in our lives and in our days for the presence of God and for encountering Him day by day. We have become like Judah returning back, like Jerusalem return, uh, the Jews returning back to Judah and Jerusalem. We have become complacent with things how they are. Right? As believers, we early in into our walk with faith and faith, we get excited for what God's doing in our midst. We get excited for what God has given us in salvation. We get excited for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then there comes a point where we just become complacent. And rather than pushing forward, we're just really comfortable with things as they are. Right? And this is what happened with, with the Jews in uh, the return to Jerusalem from Babylon. Is they began to rebuild the tabernacle, or the temple rather. They laid the foundations, right, which is the hard part. That's the exciting part. We're laying the foundations. We're beginning this work. And then things got difficult. And when things got difficult, we stopped. And when we stopped, we started filling that time instead with other stuff. Right? And we started building homes for ourselves, extravagant homes. We started making sure that the fields for our animals were taken care of. We started building cities and so on and so forth. We started putting all of our effort in things that were not what God called us to do. And we stopped having time for God in our lives. We stopped having time for the work of the Lord in restoring the temple and the temple service. And so the Lord gave me this idea, this question, if you would, for us to process through as we're listening to this message. And as we're reading through Haggai, have we become complacent in our walk and call with God? Have we become complacent today in our walk and call with God? And I believe this period of, of quarantine, as, as people are calling it, was an act of God. Not that God made people sick, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God caused the coronavirus or didn't. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is that God uses things that happen 
for the purpose of his glory and his kingdom. And I believe that God is using this period of quarantine, this season that we find ourselves in, as an opportunity for us as followers of Messiah, uh, as us who are heirs to the kingdom of God, to restore our walk in him, to restore our faith and his call in our lives. And I believe he's using this as an opportunity for us to be drawn out of complacency and put back in this attitude of fervor for the leading of God in all areas of our lives. See, we've got to ask ourselves, what greater are we missing out on because of complacency with where we are? We read in verse 3, and we'll, we'll look here again. Verse 3 says, Who remains among you who saw the house in its former glory? So, you do, so how do you see it now? Does it not seem as nothing in comparison in your eyes? So you can understand Israel was only in Babylon for about 70 years. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the, the numbers add up that by the time uh, they began to begin work on the temple again, that is when the actual 70 years came to a completion, but that God started sending them back before the period of 70 years was fully complete in order to prepare the way for what God was about to do through the rebuilding of the temple. And so there were those who were there with uh, Haggai. There were those who were there who came back from Babylon who had actually, in fact, seen the temple of old before it was destroyed and the glory of the way Solomon built it and how it looked. And here uh, Haggai, the Lord speaking through Haggai, says, Guys, who of you here who are, 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 are letting the work of the Lord come to a halt, who of you here who become lazy and complacent, who remembers what the temple used to look like? Who remembers the glory of old when the temple stood before, when Solomon had finished the temple and how marvelous and miraculous it was? How do you see it now? Do you not see that now it is in complete and total ruin, that now it is completely and totally demolished and destroyed? And I believe that God is showing us through this uh, passage here in Haggai that in order for us to move forward in what God is doing and what he is calling us to do, in order to be able to walk faithfully and fully in his call upon our lives and with relationship in our walk, and in order to step outside of the mentality of complacency, that we must first remember all that God has done and trust in his greater. Keep in mind that the words of Haggai here uh, are, are uh, prophetic, both in his here and now. In other words, when Haggai stood in Judah and in, in Jerusalem within Judah, when Haggai stood where the, 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 the foundation of the temple now stood, but the temple was no longer being built, these words were spoken as a prophetic call of return from God. I remember we talk about this a lot here at CMC, that prophecy is not some fortune-telling mentality. We're not shaking a magic eight ball and telling you what's going to happen in your life, but biblical truth. True biblical Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit-led prophecy is always a call to repentance, a call to Teshuvah, a call to return. And here this prophetic word from Haggai that the Lord is speaking is a call for the nation of Israel to return to the work of the Lord and reestablishing the temple and his presence in our midst. Remember, the, the purpose to the temple was for the presence of God to dwell in the midst of Israel. And so he calls us to remember all that God has done and to trust in his greatness, to trust in his greater rather than what we see behind us. Verse 4 and 5 picks up and says, But now, Zerubbabel, Chazak, be strong. It is a declaration of Adonai. And be strong, Joshua, son of uh, Jehozadak, Kohen Gadol, and all people of the land, Chazak. Notice this isn't just a message to Zerubbabel, the governor. This isn't just a message to Jehozadak, the, the high priest. This is a message to all of those that God has brought back unto himself. 
Chazak. It is a declaration of Adonai and work, for I am with you. It is a declaration of Adonai Zevod, according to the word I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, my Ruach is standing in your midst. Do not fear. So as much as we are to remember the glory of old, the greater of old, we are to hold on to the promise of an even greater to come. But then on top of that, we are to be strong. We are to be strengthened in the power and presence of the Lord. And we are to move forward in God's call with no fear. Notice it's a two-part uh, message that's spoken here. He says, Chazak to uh, uh, Zerubbabel. He says, Chazak to Jehozadak. He says, Chazak to the people in the land. And then he says, My Ruach is standing in your midst. Do not fear. We have nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because the presence of God, His Ruach HaKodesh, is in our midst. The same was true for Jer the, the Jewish people who were turning back to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity. We became afraid of everything we saw around us, just like our forefathers did as they were preparing to go into the Promised Land. They sent spies in, and they heard that the people in the Promised Land were like giants. They were huge, and they were multiple in number, and we could not take them. And we began to become afraid of what we thought might happen rather than trusting in what God has already promised. And this is the same true here in Haggai's day, that Israel became afraid of what was happening around them. They became afraid of what the, the people around them were going to do. And they lost faithfulness and focus on what God was already promising that he would do. They came back to, Ju to Jerusalem because God said, now is the time to go back. And as a sign of what he was doing, he made sure that they understood it through the security of the fact that it was the leader of uh, the known world. It was Cyrus, this great power of this world power, who not only sent them back to the promised land, but sent them with everything needed in order to build the tabernacle. Reminds us kind of of Israel coming out of Egypt, right? God gave them everything they needed to build the tabernacle. He gave them everything they needed to fight the battles that laid ahead of them. He gave them everything they needed to walk into the promised land and to see the glory of God move among them. But yet we became afraid and complacent and we spent 40 years in the wilderness. And the same is true here in Haggai. They spent uh, 14 years staring at the foundation of the temple being restored, but the temple itself still standing in ruins. Verse 9, the glory of this latter house will be greater than the former, says Adonai Zebaot. In this place, I will grant shalom. It is a declaration of Adonai Zebaot. He says that the glory of the latter temple, the glory of the temple they're about to build will be greater than the glory of the temple of old. It will be greater than the glory that Solomon built uh, and it will be more magnificent and more extravagant. But is that really what he's saying? Keep in mind that the prophecy here through Haggai is both here and now in Haggai's day, but it also speaks to something greater in the future. As a matter of fact, most theologians, both within the, the, the traditional Jewish world and within the, the Christian world, will say that the prophecy of Haggai is not just about the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, but instead that it has more to do with the reality of the kingdom of Messiah when Messiah comes. And in order for us to see the fullness of God's uh, uh, desire of His call in our lives, in order for us to walk faithfully in relationship with Him, we must trust that as we follow the Ruach's lead, that the latter will be better than the, the that the latter will be greater than the former. That everything God has in store for us will be greater than what we experienced before. Because if we're honest about it, most of, most of us came to faith 
from situations and crises in our lives that really weren't all that great to begin with, right? We all were living sinful, horrible lives, and we found the, the salvation of Messiah, and we walk in faithfulness in Him, and the, the truth is our lives can only get better from here. So we can recognize wholeheartedly that the latter will be greater, and we can trust in the, the leading of the Ruach as he tells us that the latter will be greater than the former. We must trust that God is in control. And see, here's one of the things that's really, uh, I think, interesting and unique about this passage because we talk about the here and now and we talk about the future fulfillment, right? And the here and now, as these words are being spoken of, he says, uh, verse 6, For thus says Adonai Zavod, In just a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. The treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, it is the declaration of Adonai. And then he goes on to verse 9, The glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. In this place I will grant shalom. I will grant peace. But notice he says here, and, and this again, here and now for, for Haggai, these words make sense. says that the gold or the treasures, the wealth of the nations will come, and I will fill this house with my glory, that it's through the wealth of the nations that Cyrus sins, and the other leaders who come after him will send in order to see the rebuilding of the temple. The nations send their wealth for the purposes of God, right? So we see the here and now for Haggai and, and Zechariah and their day, but we also have to understand that there is also a greater future promise that Haggai is speaking of that he may not even be aware of. And that really boils down to the fact that as we see in Acts 10, as we see in Romans 11 and so on and so forth, that the reality is, is not only has the wealth of the nations come to rebuild the temple as we see during the days of, of Ezra and Nehemiah, during the days of Haggai and Zechariah and the words that come forth from them, but even more so, the wealth of the nations have come for the building of the house of God through the kingdom of Messiah, because not only have Jews been able to come in through the blood atonement of Messiah, but salvation has been given freely to all, and all nations will be brought into the kingdom of Messiah. All nations will come into the work that God is doing here. We see it in the book of Acts as we see Cornelius' house experience the power and the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh fall, exactly how the Jewish people experienced in Acts chapter 2, and we see all of this play out. Romans 11 says that when Israel comes to salvation, that the entire world will be blessed because of what he's doing and I believe this speaks to revival that will break out because of the restoration of the people of Israel because of the restoration of Jewish people and salvation in Yeshua's name and what is beautiful here is that as we look at the body of Messiah today we can see that God has in fact placed his glory in his house today which is you and I not these buildings that we find ourselves in because these as I said before are simply resources that God gives us to use for his purpose but instead, you and I are his house of glory. As a matter of fact, Paul discusses this in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 16. He says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, dwells among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are holy. And he says again in chapter 6, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians, or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul reiterates the idea of what Haggai is talking about here in the greater, the, the latter being greater than the former. We have promise, a promise from God that everything that awaits us in the future is greater than anything we have experienced up to this point. And we must truly, wholeheartedly, and faithfully trust in that reality, trust in that promise that he has given to us because it is greater than anything we could imagine. 
And so it is time that we as the body of Messiah, Messiah, that we stop being complacent in what God has called us to do, that we stop being complacent in our walk. And as I said at the beginning, I believe that this season that we find ourselves in is an opportunity for us to realign our hearts and our lives with the will of God. For us to get outside of the complacency that we've allowed ourselves to be in. To get outside of the busyness that we've allowed to replace our time with the Lord and our relationship with what He has in store for us. And we've allowed this to get in the way that we've caused ourselves to walk away from the fullness of the promise God has for us. And even worse is, we've stopped the work of seeing the furthering of the kingdom of Messiah. We've stopped the work of seeing the, the, the building of the temple continue because it doesn't just stop with you and I finding salvation. It doesn't just stop with you and I being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. But we then have a mandate from the Lord to go forward, to stop being complacent, to pick up our hammers and our swords and to go forward and minister to the world around us, continuing to build upon the foundations that were laid in the years before us the current crisis this coronavirus must make us ask the question what have we been complacent in as it regards the call of God we have seen the world around us come to a complete halt we have seen local congregations have to entirely shift our efforts and our focus we have seen that the body of Messiah isn't about the building but that the building is a resource. God is calling us to step out of our complacency, to step out of our fear, to step out of our discouragement, to step out of our doubts, and to be strong and fearless for the kingdom of God. He calls us to be strong and fearless because He is going to, in fact, place His glory in our midst. He says in verse 4, But now Zerubbabel, Chazak, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, be, uh, chazak. It is a declaration of Adonai. Uh, he speaks to the people of the land, all of the Jews who have returned to be chazak, to be strong, to be courageous. For I am with you. It is a declaration of, of Adonai Zeva'ot. According to the word I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, my ruach is standing in your midst. Do not fear. We have nothing to be afraid of if we walk faithfully in the power and the presence of the Lord. We have nothing to be afraid of if we make sure that we do not become complacent in our day-to-day lives and forget about what God has called us to do in furthering the building of His temple and furthering the, the, the reality of His kingdom going forth. There is, as Haggai says, a shaking that is coming. There is a great awakening that is going to occur. We as the body of Messiah must walk faithfully in seeing what God has in store for us. We cannot become like the Jews coming back from Babylon who two to three years into the excitement and the anticipation that we'd been longing for for decades and seeing the rebuilding of the temple becoming complacent towards that and walking away from it and forgetting about it and focusing on our own desires and our own needs rather than building a place for the presence of God to reside in our midst. The body Messiah has done the same thing in making sure that we have buildings and we have equipment and we have everything that we need to run the local congregation. But we must step outside of the reality of the building itself and recognize that the body of Messiah is greater than and that God has something phenomenal in store. If we simply step outside of our complacency, if we walk separate from fear, if we run away from fear, of what the enemy wants to do to us, if we forget about the discouragement that the world around us is constantly placing on us, if we forget about our doubts and our fears and the strongholds that the enemy tries to put upon us, 
and we walk away from complacency and make Teshuvah return wholeheartedly and completely back to the fullness of the promise of God. He is saying to you today, as he said to Judah, as he said to Jerusalem, uh, as he said to the Jewish people coming back, as he said to those rebuilding the temple, Chazak, be strong and courageous. Chazak, be strong and courageous. My Ruach is standing in your midst. You have nothing to be afraid of. The body of Messiah, we are filled with the indwelling of the presence of the living God. There is nothing the world can throw at us. There is nothing the enemy can do. We have nothing to be afraid of. We must faithfully, faithfully see the reality of the call of God, the reality of our walk in Him be known to all men. We must answer the call that He places on our hearts, whatever that is, however uncomfortable it may be, however afraid we are, trusting that His Ruach is in our midst, that He has placed it among us, and trusting that the, the, the latter will be greater than the former. Our lives in Messiah are going to be far greater than our lives in the world ever were. And our lives in Messiah next week should be greater than our lives in Messiah last week. And as we walk in these lives, walking separate from complacency, walking fully devoted in Messiah Yeshua, we should see the furthering of the building of God's temple, of His house, as more and more and more people come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Yeshua Messiah. And as more and more people begin to feel the power and the presence of the revival of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit in our lives, and recognize the divine glory is in our midst today. So I want to encourage you this, this morning, I want to encourage you today to stop being afraid, to stop making excuses. The Samaritans can't do anything to stop you. The world around us can't do anything to stop you. The enemy can't do anything to stop you if you're walking in faithfulness and alignment with the will of God for your life. If you are giving heed to everything that God has in store and if you are seeking faithfully His Ruach HaKodesh in your heart and your life, the world cannot stop you. Be strong and courageous and know that God is with you and His Spirit is upon you and His glory is in your midst for the good and the furthering of His kingdom, of His greater temple and the world around us. Abarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you, Father. We thank you for your word of encouragement. We thank you for your call of repentance. Father, we fall on our faces now before you in repentance for having walked in fear, having allowed fear to overcome us, having allowed complacency in the busyness of life to take place of your place in our life, to take place of relationship with you, to take place of discipleship, to take place in faithfulness to being in your word and listening for your still small voice in every moment and every breathing second of our lives. Father, let us recognize that it is your breath in our lives, that your ruach is there and moving among us. And Father, take away the fear of the world around us. Speak the words ever so present over and over and over again in our lives. Chazah, chazah. Be strong. Be courageous. And do not fear because the Spirit of God is in you. Amen and Amen.